I'm not necessarily an anti-vaxxer, per se, but I wouldn't blame you if you'd seen me as a kid and thought so. I never actually minded the doctors. It always felt really non-intrusive. I was healthy as a horse, except for the first seven years or so of my life where I got bronchitis almost on the clock every season. And I got a lollipop or a dum-dum at the end, so it was pretty fun. Especially with that interesting paper they use for the seats. I don't know why, but that was always like my favorite part. And then I became old enough for shots. And I had never felt terror like that before. They always distribute the shots in the shoulder for kids, so it's not too scary, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a scary-looking needle that's about to be injected straight into your arm. It had terrified me so much that my mother had decided that the level of fear and anxiety that I got from it just wasn't worth it, so we veered away from shots for a good while. That was until my mom got a letter from my high school near the end of my senior year. Uh, I guess you're suspended, she said confused. Why? I said just as confused. I guess you never got vaccinated for whooping cough. I remember that time pretty vividly, too. There was kind of a big whooping cough outbreak, and the school was having no funny business involved with it. Which meant they were pulling medical records left and right, and if you weren't vaccinated, you were on a two-week suspension at least. But, instead of giving me a two-week vacation, Mom scheduled me for a doctor's appointment immediately. It was a quick one-and-done appointment, and I had the needle injected into my shoulder again before I even realized what had happened. But for some reason or another, I remember that hurting a lot more than it did when I was a kid. Maybe it was because I remembered it more. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home A Podcast and a Memoir by M.K. Lott Chapter 27 Plasma There are no two words more wonderful to hear after a layoff than economic hardship. If you haven't heard of that term before, consider yourself lucky, but... Economic hardship is a kind of deferral that you can plea to have your payments from a specific company temporarily paused. In this case, it was student loans. The bane of every 20-something's existence, because it exists for decades after you're a 20-something. And if there's one thing that student loans are not, it's forgiving. Unless you pull the good old economic hardship card. Once I put down the tequila, and stopped drinking for a while, I decided to call the student loan provider I had sole responsibility of taking care of and call them to ask for a deferral due to a layoff. Once I said the word layoff, they were pretty lenient with the request and told me that the deferral would be active for three months. It was a great amount of room to breathe, other than the looming realization that I had three months to find a job that I could afford to pay for both my rent and my loans. And at about the two-month mark, I found a job. Something of an odd-job researcher for a tailor shop right next door to the cafe that I go to every morning for coffee. I did a little bit of everything, researching apps and software that could help with their marketing, rewriting and redesigning their website, taking care of their inventory, 
helping out at the front desk during the busier days like Black Friday, steaming suits, and when I could, learning how to sew and alter clothes. The pay was a little lower than I had become accustomed to, but it was still enough, and there was always promise of increasing wage. So, once I was able to build up enough of a reserve, I could slowly bring my loan payments back into the mix without too much of a shock. But I needed to know first exactly how much I owed. Normally, I could look at the bank statements and just find the name of the provider, but I naively chose what are called variable rates. That means, based on the economy and how long of a payment length I have left, the amount that I owe actually changes every month, whether it's by a few dollars or a few cents. Usually, people pick variable rates over the opposite, fixed rates, because variable rates have an easier barrier to entry and they can have lower interest. Again, if things don't change that drastically. So, I called the loan provider and checked on how much I was going to owe once the deferral period was over. And the number I got was substantially higher than what I was expecting. Variable rates can make your payments go up, yes, and I also learned the hard way that just because your payments ended doesn't mean your interest rates did, too. So, when you take an economic hardship deferral, when you come back, your monthly payments are slightly going to always be more expensive than they were before the deferral. So, they can make your payments go up, but they can't make your payments double. So, I got off the automatic AI chat call and spoke to an operator. A human, more specifically. It turns out, they ended my economic hardship after two months, not three. So I was past due on two payments. As the stress was settling into my core, I was sifting through my emails and saw that I got a notification for a payment that was late. That was understandable, I must have not seen it before I called. But the amount on that email was different than the one that I actually owed. So, I inquired on that one, too. It turns out, because of COVID, all government loans went through a forgiveness period, and of course, there was only a matter of time when the forgiveness period would end. And it happened to end at the same time that my economic hardship deferral ended. And I was not given a reminder until I got the email that I was past due. So, I went from finding and starting the path to financial stability to owing almost $500 in student debt overnight. And late fees. I was going to build my way up to the rate that I needed, like I said before, but at this point I needed more hours, more pay, and more jobs. And I got a terrifying realization. It was either the loans or it was rent. I could be homeless, or I could have the government send collections after me. And thankfully, I have a very understanding landlady. It also helps that I'm very transparent with her on updates for the payments, and I've known her close to eight years. 
who recommended an option that I never considered in college, but every college student and their dog had done at least once. Blood plasma donations. If that doesn't ring a bell, here's a little science lesson. There are three components that make up your blood. Plasma is the component that makes your blood a liquid. And because of that, your blood is able to coagulate, which means it clots to stop your body from losing more blood. It carries proteins that help your immune system throughout your body. It regulates your body temperature. And that's just among a bunch of other things that it does. So it's also why plasma donations are so heavily pushed and medical news today refers to plasma as liquid gold because according to them the u.s alone is in need of about 10,000 units of blood plasma every day for the common people aka you and me that means money incentives lots and lots of money incentives my landlady's proposal was maybe I tried donating plasma to make up the difference and catch up on my past due loans. That was a great idea, and in college, I would have done that in a heartbeat. But then I thought about all those times that I had to deal with shots or blood tests for jobs. The shots would terrify me at the intensely sharp pain in my shoulder, and every time I gave blood, even just a little bit, I would get queasy and pass out. My landlady assured me that plasma was different because instead of taking blood out, they would separate my blood from the plasma and then put the blood back in with a chemical called saline that helps replace the plasma instead of just putting back in blood with no way of moving smoothly in your body. I didn't like it, I'm not gonna lie, but from the way I saw it, I had no other choice that was as immediate or as high paying as plasma. I managed to snag a coupon that said if I could find a way to fit eight sessions into 30 days, I could get $850 in donations. Then it would probably drop down to about 30 to 60 per session. That's, I think, the national average. And that was enough to pay for my loans and then some for rent, all before my paycheck. So, on my first day off for the week, I made the 20 minute drive down to the donation center. It was the same kind of environment that you'd expect from a medical center. Sterile, white, and smelled like excessive hand sanitizer. The nurses and phlebotomists were all huddled around their stations while donors either sat for their questionnaires or were in line to give a pint or two. I waited patiently for someone to approach me at the front desk and ask if I had an appointment, which I did, once a nurse was kind enough to check on me. I was sent to a computer where I could make my account and profile, and then I sat through what ultimately became a 25 minute long questionnaire asking everything blood related from if I had ever donated to whether or not I had hepatitis B, a question they generously asked it feels at least five times. But I made a conscious effort to read everything intently. I read these questions like a lawyer reads a contract and I probably had more of an idea for donating a third of the stuff that makes my blood more than I probably ever wanted to have. I began to discover what the risks of donating plasma were, and they included, but were certainly not limited to, fainting, lightheadedness, and seizures. I didn't know about that last one. I wasn't aware of the idea that 
I could actually have something as severe as a seizure. And if that happens while I have the needle in me, then how much damage was that actually going to do? Ultimately, I said no to that question, but normally, once I would say no to something like that, I would just leave and pretend I never went in and try to figure out another way to pay for everything. But before I psyched myself out, I wanted to talk to a professional to make sure that I was as informed as I possibly could be. I waited for a few minutes until a doctor came to visit with me and invited me into her office to go through the questions. Immediately, I began asking about the seizures, and she assured me that they had to do that for legal purposes, to make me aware of every possible outcome. But the reality was, it was always a possibility. However, the chances of all that happening, or the seizures happening, were extremely low compared to donating blood, because again, they had the saline to back it up. Plasma donation lets you recover in the middle of the donation. Blood donation doesn't. Stranger things have happened, but it's very few and far between. Plus, she assured me that everybody's job was to make sure that I was comfortable and being taken care of at all times. If something happened, it wouldn't happen for long. That was all I needed to make sure I was going to get through it okay. And then she followed it up with, Now, you ate, right? Uh, I confessed. I didn't. I had coffee, but no food. Okay. Then let's reschedule, because if you donate today, you will pass out. We recommend that you eat no more than an hour or two before you donate. We then rescheduled for two days later. So, let's see, it was a Saturday, and therefore we had it rescheduled for that Monday. And I walked out having nothing but flashbacks from those traumatizing times as a boy in the doctor's office when I had to take a needle to the shoulder for a split second. Now, I had to take a needle to the arm for at least 30 minutes. I thought about canceling on my way back home over and over again. But I realized, if I was going to reach people and teach them on how to manage stress and anxiety through hypnosis, I felt like avoiding something that made me faint or scared wasn't really practicing what I preached. And in the next episode, yep, I'm pulling it again, I'll go into detail of how that manifested itself in the first three sessions. But until then... Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you, and I'd love to help you with your stress or anxiety if you need it. Just check out the Calendly link below, and I'd love to chat with you. Thank you as always, and until next time, here's to finding your way.